I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Who among us who has reached middle age with the partner and the kids and the job has not had the thoughts that sometimes keep you awake, the what ifs? What if I had stayed with that boyfriend? What if I had never left that job? What if I had pursued that hobby that I love and wasn't stuck in this career? Well, Alicia Fernandez Miranda is just like all of us, except she did something about it. She gave herself a second chance. And over the course of a year, she followed those what ifs And then she came back and she wrote about it. And she found an ingenious way not to blow up her entire life, but to get to explore some of those things and those passions and to work out those what ifs without actually being destructive. And it changed her life. And honestly, this book is such a delight and will resonate so much with anyone who has had those thoughts, which, to be honest, is really all of us. My What If Year is a memoir that was written by Alicia Fernandez Miranda, and it is about the year that she took off of life to go and explore all of the possibilities that were waking her up and in the back of her brain and the what ifs and the should I have and what if I had done this? What if I had done that? Am I living my life the right way? I think this is incredibly relatable to so many women, especially of a certain age in a certain place of life. So I'm thrilled to be joined by you. Alicia, I loved this book. I read it Mm. fully through. It was so enjoyable. I think part of it is that it is so relatable. Your story and is the story of um, many women, especially in the second shift world, who hit their stride. They are high achieving women. They are in their prime. They have their kids. They have all the things that they thought that they always wanted. And then it doesn't really seem like it has the feeling that it's supposed to have. (laughs) So I would like to just dive in and go tell us the backstory of how you got to the place. I mean, that's basically your entire life, so we don't have to go there. But did you set out to write a book? Was it the ultimate goal or is that something that became a byproduct? So first of all, thank you for saying that. I do not think it will ever get old to hear that people are enjoying this and that people relate to my story. I think I didn't really set out to write a book, but one of the things when I did start writing and was taking classes about memoir writing, I just kept worrying, like, is this like the most self-indulgent thing I've ever done in my life? Like, here I am writing my story down. Who is going to care? Who is this going to matter to? It seemed so niche and specific. And the more that the book has gotten out there, now people are reading it and that I've heard from people, it just... I'm so happy to hear that the feeling that I was having at the time was the same feeling that so many other people, particularly women, particularly at this stage of our lives, were having. And that by sharing my story, you know, hearing from people that it's helped them think about their own journey and kind of what they want to do is hands down the greatest thing about this entire process. Like so far, it's been amazing. I cannot wait for the book to be out and for people to hopefully continue to have this resonate with them. So thank you for saying that. It means so much. Yeah. You know, I set out to do the internships. 
that is what I really wanted to do. I was at a place in my life where I was living in London, had two kids, really cute dog, you know, happily married for many years by that point. And I was running my own business. It was a consulting firm in the philanthropy and kind of social impact space. I was going to the World Economic Forum. I was having fundraisers at uh, Buckingham Palace. I was deploying a lot of money to a lot of good. And all of those things just, they all looked like they should be adding up to feeling fantastic. And for a while, I was enjoying it. And then for a while, I really was not. I could not figure out why. It seemed like I had done all of these things that I was supposed to do. And I just, I wasn't happy. I kept wondering what if, and also what else? Like, is there something else out there? Is this it? Am I done by like 40? And I'm just supposed to now do this for the rest of my life. And so I had had this idea that started with thinking about desperately wanting to figure out what life was like behind the scenes in musicals, right? I've always loved musicals. I would go see musicals and I'd be like, oh my God, I would give anything just to sit in on a rehearsal. I'll go get coffee for everybody. I will fold playbills. I'll like scrape gum from under the seats just to be able to see what it's like to do this thing that I have always loved so much that I've never really been able to experience. And uh, as you know, from having read the book, I was kind of on this girls weekend and drinking a few martinis with some girlfriends of mine. And they were like, why don't you do it? Like, why don't you just do this? And actually, why don't you go do all the things that you kind of thought that maybe you wanted to do when you were a kid? And we spent a long time listing them out. And then we left the girls weekend and I did nothing for like months and months except fantasize about this internship idea. And then eventually took it forward, which we'll read all about in the book. But I will say that the idea of writing it was like a very convenient excuse at the beginning because some people, if I was like, oh, I'm going to New York, I'm going to be gone for a month. I am going to shadow and intern on two shows. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Maybe I'm going to be sweeping the floors. I mean, who knows, but I'm just going to do this. People thought that was like a really wacky plan. But if I said, I'm going to do this and then I might write a book about it after, all of a sudden that felt normal. Like, oh, of course, there's a very clear goal at the end of this project. There's some objective to it. So that seems like something that's worth your time and worth, you know, abandoning your husband and kids for a few weeks to do. And so that's really kind of how the book came into play. And then, you know, as I started writing, I just, I loved the writing process. It felt very therapeutic, but I would say until it was done, I like never thought it was going to be a whole book. And then I didn't ever think it was going to be published. So all of this feels like, you know, whipped cream on top of the Sunday for me now. Okay. I think we should get the elephant out of the room and just say to upfront, this whole experience of being able to do this is a privilege. That to be able to take off out of your life and go be an intern is a privilege of being able to have the success, the partnership, the money, the ability to do all these things, the connections. So let's just like lay it out there and just own it. But that said, It's an incredibly scary thing to do when you are a person who has been high-level, perfectionistic. You went to Harvard. You went to London School of Economics. Somebody who's always been goal-oriented and also had a clear vision about, in some ways, what life should look like and has control over that thing to then get to the place where you're like, "Mm, is this actually what I want it to be? In a kind of, in a weird way, a repudiation of everything that you've done until then. And I think that's that crisis that people have of what am I supposed to do now? Totally. I mean, thank you for mentioning the privilege point. It's so 
important. It was privilege on so many different levels on having gone to a point in uh, my business where I could be the boss and say, I'm actually going to take this time and go and do this thing on the privilege of having, frankly, you know, dual citizenship. I have an American citizenship, which meant that I could go to New York and do this and not have to worry about, you know, what were the immigration questions or what were the issues are going to be around anything like that on having a supportive partner who was willing to stay home with the kids. All of these things were laid out and I'm, I'm extremely cognizant of them and grateful for them. You know, there's also a lot of effort put into place. So I, air quotes, took a break from my life, but actually you never really get to take a break from your life. So, you know, I am on the phone with my husband at midnight London time, showing him how to use the washer dryer because my daughter was sick the first night I was gone and he had never used the washing machine before. He did not know how to use it. I was checking in with business in the UK during UK business hours, that first part when I was in New York. So I would get up early at work, then I would go do my internship, then I'd come back and finish work, and then I'd do more. So, you know, I think there is a lot of machinations that happened, but having the control over my own time, my own business, you know, positioning my career into that place, it was sort of what the goal was supposed to be in the end. I had worked a number of different jobs before taking over as CEO of the company that my husband and I founded, where I was not the boss, where I was not in control of my own time. I wasn't able to just do those things that I wanted. I had my set vacation days. I had my set hours. And I was at the whim of who my bosses were. So maneuvering my life into that place where I was in charge of my time, I was in control of what I was doing, that was supposed to be like the end game for me and was supposed to be the thing that was going to be what set me up. And I did and do really value that. But I just, you know, I, I kept having this feeling like I just really, really need to be able to try something else. And it was a terrifying feeling because I had gotten to a place in my career where I knew what I was doing. I was the person in the room who was being asked for advice. I was very confident in my sort of professional abilities to be able to know, yeah, this is it. Like, all right, I'm good at this now. I can do it. To then take a step back and be like, I'm going to go try this other thing that I'm probably going to be terrible at, that I don't know anything about, that I have no connections, no contacts, no networks, besides the very generous people who offered me these internships. You know, for someone who was used to achieving the things they wanted to achieve and doing well, this was like a really terrifying undertaking. I was not a person who was used to failing at things or being bad at things. I had kind of engineered my life so I wouldn't have to do things I was bad at. And a big part of this exercise for me was actually being like, actually, why don't I try some things I don't know if I'm going to be good at and maybe be okay with being bad at them, even if that makes me feel really, really uncomfortable. So you basically, just to put it out there so people understand who, because they the book hasn't come out yet, but Over the course of a year, you set out to do internships in all of the different fields that you had, the what ifs, should I go into, should I do this, should I start this? And so that included working on Broadway, which wound up coinciding with the shows you were working on closing because it was like right at the beginning of quarantine, which is an amazing coincidence. (laughs) Then having an internship as an art advisor and working in a restaurant and then working in fitness during the pandemic with somebody who was trying to change their business from in-person to online. So lots of women, especially, I mean, we have men and women, but I think specifically women 
you have a lot of fantasies about, should I start this company? Should I do this thing? I'll be fulfilled if this, this will be fun. And I know that from my own career and my own journey in life, I kind of did this, but I just did it sooner where I had a vision set out. I was going to be Diane Sawyer. That was it. That was the goal. From the time I was in college, that was the goal until I got into the TV world and was like, wait, I don't actually want to be, I don't know if I really want to be Diane Sawyer. Like, first of all, there's one of her. This doesn't really seem like there's great data behind the success. And also (laughs) I kept taking new jobs thinking if I get, well, if I try this thing, then I'll be happy and that'll be the one that I want. And each time I was like, I don't really want to do this shit, what do I do now? And I didn't Mm. have kids at the time. So I had all of the freedom to be able to try it. And I went through, as I'm reading this, I read your book and I was like, I did this. I remembered, I went through, I was an intern because I was like, I'm going to start a fashion brand because I had these like cool vintage caftans that were my grandmother's. And I was like, I'm going to make a fashion company. And literally like went to be an intern. My friend ran a fashion brand. I had no idea what I was doing. Like every (laughs) other kid there was like a kid and they all went to FIT and they knew how to do everything. And I was like, "Uh, I don't even know what this is, but it was cool. And I did it. And then- You're like, but look at my caftans. They're really pretty. (laughs) They're so pretty. And then I started the brand and then I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I hate doing this. And then I also was like, I'm going to be a Broadway producer. I'm going to go figure out how to do that and took a few meetings. I thought about starting a few different businesses along the way. And it was really a scary and like mushy place to live in. And there's so much of your self-confidence that is Mm. knocked down when you're, first of all, like thinking about what other people are thinking about you. In that moment and the mm-hmm. the judgment that you have about yourself that you feel from others, or even if they're not thinking, you're thinking what they are thinking. Yes. Or your parents who have made an enormous investment in you and you're yeah. schooling and are like, you're, wait, what's happening? I thought I put you through grad school so that you were going to be Diane Sawyer. Um, <laughs> and it's like, oh, but what if I don't want to now? What am I supposed to do? It's really a a very scary place to live, but I I recognize that it's something that people go through. We don't live in a world in which careers are forever. We don't live in a world in which you have to do the same thing for the rest of your life and just decide that you're happy with it. And in some ways, it's actually better not to. There's more career longevity now, not not sticking with the thing that you're doing. I think this idea which is absolutely the idea that my parents' generation had, that you studied something that was going to get you a job, you went into that job, you stayed in the same field or maybe even the same company, you retired at 65 with that watch, and then you enjoyed your life after that because, like, that was the point. And that was the career path. And, you know, my dad immigrated to the U.S. from Cuba when he was eight. He and his family left everything behind, like, you know, so many refugees that came over from Cuba at that time that still come over to the U.S. now from Cuba and many other places. And he worked his ass off. He worked two jobs in high school, at least two jobs in high school. He went to college and studied accounting because he knew he could get a job in accounting once he graduated. And so, you know, that was his path. Like, he did that, and that's what he's done. I didn't really grow up, you know, he didn't love his 
career. I think he did it. It the bills it afforded him a lot of the things he wanted to do. But this idea that you would like do something because you felt passionate about it, or because you know that was the path you want to take, or God forbid, this idea that you would invest all of this time, resource, you know, all of your brain power into one thing and then go do something else was like not heard of, you know, and my parents have always been extremely supportive of me and my decisions, even like the crazy ones that I've made through my life. And a lot of the pressure that I felt was totally internalized by me. It wasn't even something anybody ever said to me, like, you have to go and do this and be the best at this. It was just, I felt, it felt like my responsibility, oldest child, only girl. Like, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to that sort of background and upbringing. I don't know how old you are, but I know you I'm, have little kids. So you're- you know, I'm, I'm 40, almost 41. The book was going to be called The 40-Year-Old Intern. And sadly, we could not use that name, but I did love, I still love that name a little bit. <laughs> it's good. But I, I do think that, you know, midlife crisis is a thing, right? Like look at men, they don't know how to process it. They would probably be a lot better off being interns than like, you know, buying a Porsche or whatever the cliche is and having affairs. <laughs> um, it would be a lot simpler to be like, you know what I'm going to do? Try my hand at interning. It's a much more creative way to process through what you're going through, which is the overwhelming feeling of, okay, I did all this. Is this what's the next giant chapter of my life? And balancing that with the crushing burnout of little kids and the balance of invisible labor and a full-time job and all of the thoughts of like, well, I'm supposed to be way happier than I am or more fulfilled than I am is a burden. And it's something that I feel like you came up with a very creative adaptation, a lucky one and a privileged one, but a creative adaptation to work through all of those things that hit, I would generally say everybody at some point in their life when they're yeah. middle age. I, or you even know, I, before. Yes. Like, yes. Something so, happens so way true. before too. I'm very, I'm very jealous that you figured all this out beforehand. Actually, it does seem like a very sensible thing to do, <laughs> to do this before you have kids hanging on to your coattails, kind of like, you know, needing things from you at all times. Um, yeah. You know, I, I feel like I now, I have so many friends who are going through some similar version of this, right? And it really kind of doesn't matter what they did. Friends who got married and had kids, friends who never got married and have just kind of pursued the life they wanted, friends who are doctors, friends who are lawyers, friends who are just everybody. I think this questioning is like a thing that happens. And I do, you know, at least from my own perspective, from my own self, I do think there is a huge identity shift for me after having kids. My whole life changed. Everything I thought I wanted in my life was different. Everything I was able to do or thought I was going to be able to do was different. And that was a hard adjustment for me. And then I spent so long just being focused on just trying to survive, like getting home in time to pick them up from preschool, getting dinner on the table every night that was not chicken nuggets, although a lot of nights it was chicken nuggets, you know, trying to just stay like alive and sort of present, but like not even present, trying to continue with my career, trying to take care of these little things that now all of a sudden needed me. I love my kids, by the way, but that's what they felt like at the time. And then they kind of got a little bit older. They were in, I guess it would be the equivalent of like first or second grade in the US. And they were at school 
all day. And they, you know, I didn't have to worry. They were going to like fall down the stairs at every possible moment. And I had this extra time to think. And that was great, but also scary because once I had this time with myself again, I was like, what am I doing? Like, am I really where I want to be? Am I happy? Am I doing the right things? You know, I just, I was questioning, I was questioning everything. And at the beginning, this idea, you know, it was kind of in there. I read, obviously I read Wild. I read Eat, Pray, Love. Like those things came to mind. Like maybe I should go hike the Pacific Coast Trail, but not great with sleeping outdoors. And I liked the Eat, Pray, Love model. But, you know, I also could not just pick up and leave my family for like months at a time. I didn't want to. And I I just couldn't. I had too many things to do. And I was still you know, trying to run this business from like also doing these internships. I was still trying to, you know, be a parent to my children who still needed me there and around. And so this seemed like this little, you know, I was going to go take these little breaks, like little sort of sabbaticals and small breaks from my life. And then I would come back and everything would be fine. And I would just go back to what I was doing because I would feel so much better about everything, which is not at all what happened, partly because of the pandemic and partly because life doesn't work in that neat way. But that was part of the original idea. I was like, I don't have to blow up my whole life. I can just go, you know, like hang out on Broadway for two weeks and bring the kids over for the last two weeks and I'll spend a month and I'll have these great experiences and I'll feel refreshed and rejuvenated and I'll be back to my normal path in no time, which is not at all what transpired. Some of it's the timing of it, just being in the pandemic and doing things that you you were still trying to, and I give you credit, even though everything shut down, you kept going with this idea of doing the internships and doing all of this, even through homeschooling and helping the businesses that you work with as a consultant, you still were like, and I'm going to go do all these other things. It wasn't like you put it on hold, which is remarkable because That was just adding to an already very heavy plate to carry. I mean, you know, I think back on those first few weeks of lockdown, which, you know, I was in the UK. It was very restrictive. You know, I know you were in California. It was also really restrictive there. But my parents were in Miami, and it was certainly not nearly as restrictive there. But we were not allowed to leave the house. You know, my friends were, like, still wiping down their groceries, and we were leaving them in closets. I mean, it was this, really, if you think back on it, what we didn't know at the time, it was just this incredibly terrifying time. And I remember the headmistress of the twin school sent an email over and she was like, well, we think we might be doing this all the way through the Easter break, which at that time was in April. And I was like, this is absolutely a joke. There's no way we're going to be home with these kids for a month. Like that can't possibly happen. I can't school them for a month. And then lo and behold, it ended up going a lot longer than that. But, you know, I just like everybody else, I think I was scared and I was really depressed. And I had spent so much time, not just like the practical effort of trying to get these internships and trying to arrange my life in a way that I was going to be able to take them, but so much emotional effort into this year, this project, this was going to be like the solution to all of my problems. So the idea of giving it up, I just couldn't fathom. I could not fathom because what did that mean? It would mean that I was going back into what I was in before, but this much worse version of it where we weren't allowed to leave and we were just not doing anything. And so, you know, I I had an internship lined up at Christie's that was supposed to happen in May. I was super excited about it. It was like, you know, a work experience program that 
mostly, it's mostly young people get to do. And I was going to rotate through the different departments. And I had like an email with the dress code of like what I was supposed to wear every day. Like I was so excited about that. And that was when that was indefinitely postponed and it became very clear that there was no way that we were going back to normal anytime soon. I was just like, well, I just, I can't, I can't let it go. I have got to find something to do. I needed an outlet. And so it is when I look back on it, what on earth was I thinking? Like I was getting up to work out and then doing these social media posts and then getting the kids on homeschool and then managing work and homeschool for the whole day and then doing another workout in the evening and trying to write and try. It was, it was wild. It was a wild amount of time being spent, but it was keeping me sane in a time where I think if I didn't have that outlet, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what would have kind of come out of it. I just, I needed it. I knew I needed it. And I knew even if I could never do another one after the fitness one, which was my virtual internship, who knows what was going to happen next. I just, in this moment, I cannot afford emotionally, mentally to let this project go. I felt desperate. I was willing to do pretty much anything. (laughs) So you said you were hoping that this year of the internships and doing this, having these breaks from your life was going to be the thing that was the solution for your feeling of sort of itchiness and meh and burnout. Was it the solution? Yes, but not at all in the way that I expected it to be. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that I'm I'm not working full-time in any of those fields that I interned in. However, I have continued to work with all of them uh, in different ways, except Broadway, which maybe they'll never have me back, but that would be really nice if they did. That's, That's when I want to go back and do again. But I just, I had this, experience that really shook me completely out of this feeling of being stuck, this feeling of inertia that I was sort of in at the time before I started. And the things that I took out of the year were these lessons about how I wanted to live and work and how I wanted to think about my entire future that, you know, I I go back to them every single day. I go back to them every single day. I realized you know, through part of the course of the, you know, all of these different internships that one of the best things about the year was that I learned so much. I learned tiny things like how wait staff uh, remember, you know, what are the tricks for like remembering which table is which and how do you balance a bunch of plates on your arm in the right way so you can take them back to the kitchen, which was a difficult lesson for me because I dropped a lot of things when I was working in a hotel and restaurant. But I learned you know, how entire other industries operate, how different people think. I met so many new and different people that, you know, I didn't really know before. I was so curious about everything. I was reading all these books about the different fields that I was working in. I was just, you know, it just, it like reignited something in my brain and reminded me how much I love learning about different things, how I had somehow moved so far away from that where I wasn't really learning so much as like doing or advising. And, you know, now is this a new experience that maybe I wouldn't have had before? And, you know, I'm trying really hard to embrace that because it's fantastic and it has completely inspired me and it's made me do all sorts of things that I probably would have said no to in the past because I didn't have enough time or I was too tired or they seemed too difficult. And, you know, now I'm trying not to say no to stuff that feels like if I'm saying no to it because I think it's too hard, I'm like, am I going to learn from this? Is this going to be something new? Is this going to be an opportunity for me to do something different? And all of those things that I've kind of kept with me, they're with me 
every single day in every decision that I make. I'm not great at it 100% of the time, I'll be totally honest with you. But I would say like 80% of the time, I'm still making good decisions informed by my internship experiences. I think it's really cool. It reminds me a little bit of Fair Play and the unicorn space and Eve Rodsky, who I know has a a blurb in your book. And Eve is an old friend of mine and of the second shift. And her whole idea of like unicorn space, it's a different version of it because it was so low, but it's the idea of creating space for yourself to follow passion, to figure out ways that you're going to reinvigorate your life and follow your own curiosity and so that you don't have to quit your job and blow up your life. Correct. It's just <laughs> how you can make it work for you to do this. And, and there's been great ways that people have to do that. I mean, I, I created an entire Mahjong group years ago and then created a bridge group to learn bridge. You know, these were the, the things that I was like, I really would like to know how to do that. And I'm going to awesome. figure out how to do it. But it's those things that are connecting with people and taking yourself out of your own comfort zone. Mm -hmm. What you just said about that, I think that's a huge piece of it. We wind up in at some point when you have the career and you have the kids and you have the life, it's like every day can kind of feel like the same day and you look at the future and you're like, "Mm, so this is what it's like for for the next 10, 15 years. And that's a scary feeling at some point when you're looking at like the runway being a little bit shorter Uh, and you're like, well, I didn't do all of the things or what else is it that I want to do? Am I actually fulfilled? And so finding ways to make your life fun again and exciting and like you're young and the world is your oyster is a really creative solution to finding that unicorn space or whatever, you know, what if, the what ifs, the answer to the what ifs. Well, I love that you've done that. I love that you put it that way because I think you're so right. My dad, my dad is like constantly, at some point my dad's older brother called him and was like, I've calculated the number of weekends I have left of like good years of my life before I'm not going to be able to do anything fun anymore. And it's like, not, not that many. He's like, it's like, you know, I don't know, 300 weekends or something like that, probably a little bit more. But so that, so my dad is always like, yep, you know, didn't do much today, but still have 185 weeks to go, whatever it might be, which is like, you know, a little bit morbid and terrifying. And let's hope we all get that lucky. But I I think that that is something that anybody can and should do. I love Eve's books. I love, I think Fair Play was like a revolution. I had a Bible copy. And when I had my kids, that was, like very, very important. And unicorn space is just so right. So like I started uh, singing again in a choir. It's when I moved to Edinburgh, I was like, you know what? I really miss singing. I don't want to sing as a professional. I just, you know, I sang college acapella. Like I've always loved singing. I love singing in a group. And I went and found a local choir. I auditioned and we sing together on Thursdays. And that is just joy. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to be better at it and become a professional. I'm not doing it for any reason, except I love it. I love it. I love getting in a room with these people and singing mostly Broadway songs we do. 
And we did a Christmas concert as well. And we've performed a couple times, but I just, it's just pure joy. And that is an hour of my week, like every other week. It's not an enormous commitment. It is not something that can't fit in. And I've so, that time is so precious to me that I can do that. And so I love, I love when people tell me about something that they've taken on, some new activity that they've come up with that they're doing that is just for them and just because they enjoy it. And honestly, the weirder, the better, but like even a really nice, normal one is great too. I think it's really cool because you're obviously a person who doesn't look at time as static and that you can't do. You clearly look at time as fungible and abundant. And I love that because I think about it that way too. Like there's more than enough time to do everything that you want to do, even with a job and kids and life and blah, 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 blah. Mm. So it's a decision that you make every day about where you're putting your priorities and where you are in that priority list and where your fears are in that priority list too. Because basically it comes down to, do I think that my time is worth it and that I'm worth the investment of time? Am I curious? Am I scared? And if I am, what does that say about me? Why? Yeah. And how do you overcome it? I had, uh, well, I'll say two things on that. One is that there there are lots of people for whom they don't necessarily have that luxury or privilege of extra time. And I know that that's something that you mentioned right up front in this conversation. But I have always thought because I have that, I almost feel like I have a responsibility to use it in a way that is going to, you know, bring joy to me, bring joy to others and do that. I don't like having like time with, nothing to fill it. Like it is, you know, I mean, I will sit in front of Netflix and watch the entire season of Never Have I Ever. I I did that not that long ago, but I do, I so hear you. And I just, you know, I agree with you. Like, I do feel like I do hear sometimes from, you know, friends and peers of mine, like there's just not enough time. And sometimes there are stages in life where there's not, but a lot of times there is time where you can do that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine from college the other day and She's moved into kind of like a new field. She's been very successful. She was like an early founder of a business that sold. She's done really well for herself. And now she's kind of had this headspace to think about her career and what she wants to do. And she said something to me like, well, you know, I don't like working on this part of the business because it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just said to her, I was like, I think you need to interrogate why that makes you feel so uncomfortable to be somewhere where you don't know what you're doing. You're extremely smart. You're extremely capable you're very experienced in other fields. Like, why is it that you feel, you know, off your guard when you don't know what you're doing? And why does that make you not want to do this other piece of the job? You know, maybe just throwing it out there, you should try doing this other piece of the job that you don't feel a hundred percent secure in your ability to do because that's how you're going to grow. And, you know, it's just amazing to me that she, you know, she's someone that's so, again, like, like you, like me on paper, everything, you know, done all the things, achieved all the things, sold a company, you know, she's been so successful and she's still feeling like, oh, I'm a little bit scared to do this thing. And, you know, I love the stories of people that are, that push themselves out of that. To me, that's like, that's kind of the point of this experiment that we're all here living. This podcast in some ways is that for me, 
for years, it's something that my partner told me I should do. And I was like, oh, no, there's no podcast <laughs> in the world. No one cares. You know, we're not doing that, blah, blah, blah. And finally, one day waking up, doing it, loving it, and now moving it into live events. Again, it was something where there was like, okay, there's like a friction in my soul about it. I know that if that is the case, it means I have to do it because there's something that has to happen there. If it, you yeah. can't just do the things that you're just really comfortable with. Also, it's really boring to do that. Yes. It it's gets just boring, boring very quickly. Totally. But you know it's, what I love, Jenny, is that like your whole training to be Diane Sawyer and then not being Diane Sawyer has like prepared you to do this thing that you're doing now and that you're loving. Like how cool is that? It always works out that way, right? It's, it's like- just amazing. Uh, you know, paths close and you change directions, but then, you know, the things that you learned, you know, you can't look back and connect the dots, but I mean, you can't look, what is it the quote? You can't look forward and connect the dots. You can only yeah. look back. Yeah. And I, I do feel that way. I think sometimes it's also just listening to your intuition about things and not being afraid. Because if I had listened to my intuition about things and not been afraid, this is probably something I would have done like 10 years ago. Yeah. I can't even tell you why I was afraid. It just felt like something that I just was like, eh, I don't feel like it. Yeah. Or I don't have anything to say. Or there's right. enough podcasts in the world. We don't need another one. You know, but I also think everything kind of works out the way it's supposed to and lines up perfectly. So your year of what if, even though it didn't necessarily turn out the way that you thought it was that you didn't get to like live in New York and have the opening night of your dreams and, you know, jet off to Art Basel to work at Christie's, it all lined up so that maybe it made the year that would have been the worst year of your life being stuck home doing, you know, all of the mundane life tasks that you would have had to do when you were already not feeling joy in them mm. that much worse. So I'm a believer in everything kind of like works out the way it's supposed to in the right timing. And it's just more about being aware. I think you're, I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I wonder sometimes if this had happened the year before the pandemic and I had maybe gone and done the first one and then just come back and slotted right back into my normal day-to-day -day and, you know, go to, I, I just, I wonder what would have happened. I don't know if I would have finished it. I don't know that I would have written a book about it because that took an incredible amount of time that like probably would have been spent, you know, socializing with people, which I was doing a lot of before the pandemic. But also this like drive to write about my experience, this need to write down what happened and to make sense of it was coming from a place that absolutely was like part of the pandemic around me. And I don't know what the end of the journey would have looked like if it had not happened during 2020. So while, yes, I would have loved to actually be able to see the shows that I worked on open, I would have loved to be walking through Christie's. Like I would have even worn heels for it, which I really hate wearing heels, but I would have done it for that. You know, I wanted to work in marine biology. I had dreams of going to intern at Disney. That one I'm still hoping is going to happen at some point. You know, like that all could have happened. And I don't know. I may not have learned as much. It may not have pushed me as much. It might have just been a fun thing that I did and then put it away and went back to normal. And 12 months later, found myself in the same position again. So 
I'm very grateful for the challenges that were thrown my way because I'm very grateful for where I am now. And I don't know that this is where I would have been if it hadn't all happened the way that it happened. I commend you. I think that it's so brave, all of the things that you've done. And again, as a person who's tried on many different hats and had to stand there and reckon with the decisions that you make and the feelings of like being so uncomfortable in a place when you've chosen to put yourself there, Mm. it's a really courageous thing to do. And by the way, I saw Assassins. My mom and I went to see Did that you? show because we love Stephen Sondheim. I saw it. It was fantastic. Wasn't it was it? like oh. kind of the end of the pandemic. We were all wearing masks still. But the cast was fabulous. It was a great show. Real weird, but real good. I mean, it's definitely a weird show. It was written by one of my best friend's dad, John Weidman. He was absolutely my like full nepotism connection into Assassins and everything in Use the theater. Use it, you got it. Yep. <laughs> And when John had reached out to me and he was like, here are these, you know, opportunities. These are shows that I know are happening right now in rehearsal. I was like, oh, Assassins. Okay. Like, I've seen it before. It's it's a little weird. It's very dark. I'm much more of like a singing nun, tap dancing, you know, everybody has a happy ending. But I was like, yeah, I'm not going to say no to anything. Like, I'm going to do whatever. And to be part of that room, that rehearsal, that cast, being able to be in the room with John Doyle, who is... You know, you don't need to know much about directing to know he is a gifted director, was so extraordinary. And I just, I'm sad I did not get to see the show, but it was almost better to like be back there with them. And I just still could not get over that they, like, the actors would like come in, you know, somebody was like running from the subway, somebody else was like going to work their second job that night. And then they would just turn on this magic and it was. The most incredible thing. I think I could have done that. I could, I'll just say right now, if you ever want me to come intern in on any of your musicals, I will say yes to that. I would do that again a hundred times. I'm very good at sweeping the floor. I'm great at getting coffee for people. I'm just putting this advertisement out there. You don't even need to pay me because it was one of the best experiences of my entire life to just be in that room with that cast and that creative team. It's just extraordinary, beyond extraordinary. Okay, I have two more questions for you just to wrap this up. I know it's we're, we're getting on in time. How did this go from an idea, I'm going to do this thing, like how did you write the book? Like walk <laughs> me through the book process too because I there's so much that happens in just the orchestration and logistics of making space in your life to do the thing and then to write the book about the thing. How did you even know how to do this? This wasn't in any way what you've been trained, knew how to do, or, you know, ever thought about before. No, absolutely right. But I have always been a keen journaler. I have like the most embarrassing, amazing diaries from large chunks of my youth, which I go back and read. And I know a lot of people get embarrassed by reading about their younger self, but I love it because I don't think there's anything like journaling for it's like time travel. You put yourself back in your own head at a different time in your life. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to take copious notes and journal my experience really deeply because I knew that I was having this special experience and I didn't want to forget anything. So I would kind of jot down notes throughout the day. And then every night before I went to bed, usually pretty late, I would like try to write a diary entry. And 
you know, in the same way you would write when you were journaling or even if you were like emailing a friend, like I would write about what had happened. I would write about who did what. I would write about how I was feeling and my state of mind. And I did that the first few weeks in New York. And then, you know, I came back to the UK. We were locked down. And my husband was like, you know, are you going to write about New York? And I said, no, I can't. It's like too emotional. It feels too raw. I couldn't possibly. I can't go back there yet. Like, I'm not ready for it. But like, sure enough, like two weeks later, I was like, oh, I wonder if I did try to write about this. Like, what what would happen? And so I started writing just about that section. And I was writing it as I went. So then when I got the second internship and I was doing the fitness internship, I was taking notes and journal entries through all of that. And when I finished that internship, I, you know, shortly after I wrote about that period, but they were not really connected. So I also took some classes because I'm a big fan of classes of any kind and I love learning things. So once I started writing things and I realized I actually enjoyed sitting down and writing, I took writing classes. I took an intro to fiction class online during the lockdown that was like, this is what a setting is. This is how you write one. This is how you write a narrative voice. I mean, super basic beginner stuff. And I took a memoir writing class as well, which helped me think about structure and the story. But, you know, real it all seemed like fun. And then when I finished the internships and I finished sort of writing the different, you know, the four sections of the book, one about each internship, I realized what I had learned and what I wanted to do. And I had reflected on it. Then I was like, oh, okay, I think I have a story here. Then I went back and like rewrote all the beginning bits because they all needed to be rewritten. But you know, it was really not like a professional's approach. And I'm very grateful to my agent who, you know, once I had a like finished book, I started querying agents. I queried 41 different agents. I got one agent (laughs) out of 41 different agents, but I'm very grateful to her that she took a chance on my story, knowing that it was like, you know, pretty raw and needed a lot of work to get up to scratch. And then likewise, you know, very grateful for finding Zibby Owens and having Zibby in my life, who also saw what was a pretty, you know, not not the book you're reading, like it was a much rougher version of it and thought there was enough there that she was like, yeah, I want to do this with you. And Zibby, another friend of the second shift, is somebody who changed her entire life, started a business based on a passion and now has you know revolutionized an industry in a certain way. So you never know where things lead. And I, I kind of love that about life. If you're able to follow the breadcrumbs, see where your interests take you and put the time and the effort behind it. I always think like life can be a giant adventure if you're willing to go along the ride. Yes. And you're not too old ever to continue seeing it as this wild path of joy and excitement and adventure. And it just takes being brave and kind of stepping outside of your comfort zone. And then you can see if your what ifs are real or not. Now, my last question, we always wrap it up saying, how do you make work work for you? Which is our second shift tagline. But love it. I mean, you really do make work work <laughs> for you in every way. I, I, I'm not sure how to how to even frame this question for you, but I'll let you decide how you want to answer it in where you're feeling today. Mm. How do you make work work for you? 
how do I make work work for me? Well, I really try to interrogate the opportunities that are placed in front of me for what all the different things I might get out of them are and whether or not they're the right fit for how I should spend my time. I feel very fortunate that I'm at a point in my career and my life where I can do that. But it's not just about money. Sometimes it's about money, but it's not just about money. It's about, will I have the chance to learn? Is this going to give me a new skill? Is this going to give me a new experience that I haven't done? Am I going to enjoy this? Because I do think life is really too short to do stuff that you don't enjoy for very long. I think about all of those things. Am I maybe going to fail at this? Am I scared of this? As you said before, is there friction in this that's making me think I shouldn't do it? Because, you know, I really, I interrogate all of those things because I kind of have a job now that's like six different jobs and no job. I work for the art dealer a couple of days a week doing whatever comes across his desk that he would like me to work on. You know, at the moment, there is a painting that's in Germany that we're trying to get to a different country that like I'm learning about export laws and uh, how different paintings are repatriated. I mean, you know, it's no day is the same. The hotel and restaurant that I worked at, Kinlock Lodge, they said, would you like to write? You know, we know you can write and we know you love this place. We want to put out a cookbook for our 50th anniversary. Do you want to write that for us? I was like, yeah, I absolutely do. I went and I sat with the guys who dove for scallops on the Isle of Skye and the people who grow the um, the leaves for salads and that have the rope grown mussels. And I went foraging with the forager and learned about the different kinds of mushrooms. And I learned how to whiskey taste. I did all of these different things. And so I do a little bit of that. I've got this book stuff going on. I'm trying to write a novel, which is very hard, by the way. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that successfully, but like that's something else I'm spending my time in. And so you know, all of these different little pieces do not add up to an easy description. There is not one thing that I can say when people ask me what my job is. I, there's a number of different answers I could give them. But I make work work for me by looking at all these opportunities in front of me and saying, what is going to be the end of this? What are the possibilities that this might open up? And how can I learn and grow and change from this experience. And if it looks like it might be something that's going to challenge me or push me or that I'm going to really enjoy, then I say yes. And if it works out, great. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And that's also great because I've learned a lot from those experiences too. Something I just want to circle back to before we wrap it up. I think what is interesting about how you're thinking about career right now as we said, it's different than, let's say, our parents or mm. what our expectation of what career looked like when, for me, for when I got out of college and when you got out of college, careers had a structure and a longevity. And generationally, there's a much younger audience with, that we look at now, like the Gen Zs, they have like seven jobs. Yeah. There's no, And there's no you know, it's it's difficult for employers because there's not really stickiness and longevity to them and there's a huge investment being made and I understand the negative of that. But these are people who are going to create a very different career path for themselves that brings in all different elements and feeds their curiosity or their wanderlust or their adventure. And they're making it work for them because that's, the antidote in some ways to this like boring office job that no one really wants to do anymore. And we've all seen last mm. for a certain period of time until it kind of burns out and it doesn't last. Yes. For most, not all. 
I mean, my twins are 11, so they're still at the stage where they want to be professional soccer players or be on a Disney Channel show or like, you know, many, maybe they will do that. Many lofty job choices that are mostly for them about like, how can I be famous? This is what they My 10-year-old's going to be the wide receiver of the Giants. Perfect. Well, that's amazing. Then we'll have both have very sporty children to go out to. I feel (laughs) certain that's not going to happen based on his genetics, but let's, you know, I I can't run at all, but good for him for, uh, I will not squash that dream. Exactly. You have your dreams. So they're still at that like fantasizing stage, but you know, I often say to them, I'm like, you don't have to figure, you don't have to think what you want to do when you grow up. And that's just one thing that you do. Like, you do not have to do that. And I say that message a lot because we live in the UK. My children are being educated in the UK system, which is very, you know, narrow. You narrow very early. You decide the subjects you're going to study in university when you do your GCSEs, which is at 16 years old. At 16 years old, I don't know what I want to be. I think I wanted to be a marine biologist or like work for a magazine or maybe do both of those things because I thought you could do both and maybe you can do both. But, you know, I say to them, I say, you do not have to do that. I say, you need to learn. You need to learn different skills. You need to kind of have those core foundational skills that make you able to think strategically and to solve problems and to be a hard worker and to not be scared off if something is difficult. And you need to build up all of those things and you need to be intellectually curious and learn. You don't have to do the same job your whole life. Like, I don't think that's how their generation is going to operate at all. I think employers will catch up to that because I don't know that they're going to have a choice when this entire generation comes of age and they're like, I want to do this for this period of my life. And then maybe I want to go do this for this period of my life. And maybe those two things are entirely different. You know, life is long and we work a long time. So I certainly encourage my kids to think about what are all the different opportunities. And if you want to be a paleontologist by day and run a pizza shop by night, that sounds like a great plan. Do that. I will come eat there in the evenings and help you out on your digs in the afternoon. And then I'll jet off and maybe I'll be, you know, working on a musical uh, the next day, but let's just, let's just do it. Like, why not? Why not? Why not? I love that. I love your attitude. I really appreciate your time and bringing this message to the second shift audience. This is a perfect group of people aligned with where you were, where you are. And I wish you the best of luck in all of your careers and all of your journeys. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. It has been such a joy and I look forward to seeing you soon, I hope. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 